guys, we are, I think, part five or six into a, a series, a study that we've been doing through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's not really a book so much as a letter. It's a very long letter, actually, one of the longest letters contained in the New Testament, written by a gentleman that we commonly refer to as the Apostle Paul. He was one of the early and arguably most influential church leaders in the first century. Um, at the beginning of this story, he is absolutely opposed to the way of Jesus, to the person of Jesus, to the people of Jesus, until he has an encounter with Jesus. He is literally knocked off of his high horse, he's blinded, he's healed, and he is changed. From there, Paul went on a mission to tell the world about this, this Jesus, who he came to find out is very real. Um, he conquered death, and he is on a mission to rescue the world. Paul, perhaps like, unlike uh, anyone else that we have for us as an example in the scriptures, is a man who has been utterly captivated by the love of God in Christ Jesus, and he cannot stop telling the world about it. And thus, we have a whole group of Jesus followers, Christians that form a community in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. Paul writes two letters to this church that he himself um, helped to start in Corinth, and those two letters are titled First and Second Corinthians. Our study has been through the letter that Paul writes that we have entitled First Corinthians. And we're calling this series Unlikely Church, because as I've said virtually every week so far, of all the churches that we read about, the letters have been written to in the First Testament, I would argue that the church in Corinth was by far the most unlikely church to have made it out of the first century alive. They have got issues within and without, which makes this letter really a story of God's faithfulness because he gets them through and he does incredible things in some really, really broken, confused people. And therefore, it's a book that's extremely relevant to us. So let's get to it. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you need a Bible, we have some in the aisle here. You're always welcome to help yourself to one of those. But we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Um, if you've been reading along, you may have noticed that there's a, a sermon series outline um, that I created at the very outset of this series so you can actually know exactly where we're going to be from week to week. You can find that on the website. But I actually changed the title. If you go back one slide, I changed the title of, of part six. It was simply, it was a really boring title, Discipleship is Relationship. Super true, boring title. Um, I renamed it to Papaology, which is just weird, and hopefully it'll make sense before I'm done. Yeah, Papaology. Not, not Papaology. Papaology. Okay, moving on. Here we go. Okay, we're actually just jumping in mid-thought. Bear with me. It'll make sense, I hope. I have applied all these things to myself, Paul speaking, and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters. You may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up or big-headed 
in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you have not that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already. Now you've got to get the irony, or you could even call it sarcasm, I suppose. Already you have all you want, exclamation. Already you've become rich. Without us you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I think refuse is a very polite word. Verse 14. I did not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides or teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me, That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So far, Paul has spoken of the faithfulness of God. He's talked about the unity of the people of God. Uh, He spoke extensively about the cross of Christ and the seeming folly of God. He talked about the Spirit and the work the Spirit does in the human heart. And he spoke of the church as the holy holy temple of God that God himself is building up. And then he says he's applied all of these things thus far to himself. And another teacher named Apollos that have been very instrumental in the, the forming, the building up of these believers in Corinth, Christians, just like you and I. Now, Paul is writing this letter for his Corinthians in response to a letter that the Corinthians had already written to him. They, uh, they've got some specific questions to do with uh, morality, religious behavior. Uh, they, they're asking him about sex, about marriage, divorce, food, idolatry, spiritual gifts. 
and money. Paul has yet to address any of the, any of the questions that they have about these items. He's not even hinted at them. In fact, he's not going to say anything about the questions that they've asked him until chapter 7. Um, we're only in chapter 4. What we have here, and this is very significant because we're at a, we're at a juncture in the letter. We're, we're beginning to turn a corner. Paul's going to begin to speak to the Corinthians about some specific issues problems that they're having, but he's laying the foundation first. He's emphasizing what, what's really going on here. You see, the church in Corinth, they are, they're, they're a classic example of a group of people, a church, who it would seem, they, they think, they feel that, gosh, they've had their first two pastors. They've had Paul, the apostle, and Apollos, who apparently is like maybe even better, or certainly at least more eloquent in terms of a teacher. And this is how they've grown up, and apparently they've gotten to the point where they feel like, look, we, we are, our knowledge and our spiritual prowess is off the charts. Um, we, we got this, this Christ thing on lockdown. We have some questions about, you know, some moral issues. We've got some debates among ourselves. Um, we need to get you to weigh in on some matters to do with religious behavior. But other than that, I mean, we, we got this, this Jesus stuff uh, worked out. This is, this is spiritual adolescence at its worst. You guys remember being there? 14, 15, 16 years old. And you, you, you kind of feel like, look, at, I, I've got life figured out. <laughs> Nailed it. Now, I, I reckon not all teenagers are like that. Where's my man Gus at? There's a few, few teenagers in the room. Um, I, to be honest with you, I pray to God that my kids, when they're teenagers, they're not even like just half as bad as I was. Oh, my goodness. But this is... This is this is spiritual teenage angst. This, this church seems to think that, man, they've, they've got it figured out. They got the knowledge. They got the power. And Paul is working very, very hard to communicate to them, look at you have completely lost the plot. And so what he's doing now is taking them down several notches. He's, he's using some very biting irony. He's like, oh, so you, you have everything you need. You've, you've got it all figured out. All the knowledge, all the power. Weird. I, I'm just an apostle, but apparently um, I'm, I'm the scum of the earth. I'm considered as refuse in the world. And he finishes his rant by saying, look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed. This isn't meant to be a guilt trip. I'm appealing to you as a father. You know what this is? This is a this is a heart-to-heart -heart letter written from a father to, to children, to his spiritual sons and daughters. Which is why at the end, now that I, it's it's a it's a little cringe 
how he kind of ends this section, chapter 4. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? The rod, like, I don't think he's actually, in fact, I, I know that he's not actually threatening to come with a rod. Sort yourselves out. I'm coming, God willing. You want a beat down or do you want Papa? If, any, if anyone has kids in here, you, you know exactly what, what this is about. You know exactly what this is about. Now, apparently you're not supposed to ever threaten your kids. It's, it's, um, they, they'll figure that out real quick. Yeah, you don't threat. This is Papa. This is Paul, the spiritual father, appealing uh, to people he loves. But the Corinthians, um, they're struggling. They're struggling. What he's doing is to remind these young believers what the true nature of spiritual progress or maturity actually looks like. See, the Corinthians, guys, this is so incredibly relevant for, for us um, I, don't, I don't know if it's just sort of church in America or if it's just the world. But we do have this tendency to think that the, the pathway to progress is, the, is through acquiring more knowledge and power. More knowledge and power. If I want to become a better, quote-unquote, better Christian, then what I really need is a few degrees behind my name and, and a bit of spiritual stature. And Paul's saying, mm 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 You've got it flipped around. In the kingdom of God, the way to spiritual maturity is the path of the cross. It's dying to self. It's realizing how weak and insufficient in and of ourselves, apart from Jesus, we truly are. It is death to the ego. It's dying to self. This is the pathway. This is what he's describing. And it's almost comical. He says, look, at, we're, we're scum of the earth. We're, we're refuse in the world. And I want you to imitate me. I want you to become just like me. What he's not saying is that I want you, you know, I want you to become scum. I want you to feel like you're dirt and worth nothing and have super low self-esteem because that's how God really thinks about you. No, that's not what he's saying at all. As if God's only interested in groveling subjects or timid, fearful children who are afraid to look father in the eye. It's because this is the way of the cross. We die to self as Jesus died so that in Jesus we might be raised with Jesus into a new life like Jesus, a life with which we are now defined as adopted children of God. And herein lies the power. This is the pathway to spiritual maturity in the family of God. Perhaps put it a bit more succinctly. It 
in the family of God, spiritual maturity is realized, not in the amassing of knowledge or power, but rather in the increasing awareness of one's own weakness and infinitely limited knowledge apart from the one to whom all knowledge and power and love truly belong. That is the way of the cross. I want to make a little diagram out of it because some of us tend to remember things a bit better visually. So I, I, hope it's, I hope this is obvious, but we all realize that this is utterly counter to everything we've ever been taught about like this is like how, how life is meant to work out. Right? From, from day one, we're, we're trained to become independent and self-sufficient, which is good. Like, I really, really want my kids to be able to put their own pants on. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it really is a beautiful thing. My four-year-old's not quite there yet. But what becomes, where that becomes twisted, where that, that, that derails us, and our walk with God is when we begin to think that, well, if I want to become spiritually powerful, if I want to grow, if I want to become all that God has given me life to be, to become, then, then it's up to me to, to get strong, to, to learn more. And, and we tend to think of our path looking something like this. <laughs> that's what happens. Okay. This sort of linear growth path. In fact, what the way of the cross really looks like is something a bit more like this. We decrease that the greater one might increase. We learn to die to self through the sacrificial love of others that Jesus might be formed more and more within us. John the Baptist, of course, who Jesus himself referred to as the greatest among men, was the one who said, I must decrease so that he might increase. We lose our lives so that we might gain our lives, but this, this, the chart's not done. Okay, this is really, really important. Religion, quote-unquote religion, leaves us right here, right there. God's way up here, and I'm way down here. I'm groveling, I'm pathetic, I'm dirt. I'm sinful, I'm broken, etc., etc. That is not the gospel. Because the gospel is not complete without the resurrection. We decrease, he increases. I die like Jesus so that with Jesus I might be brought to new life. Seated with the king in heavenly places. Adopted full-blown rights in the family of God. This is where our confidence lies. This, this realization that although I'm weak, he is strong. Although I'm broken, he is whole. Although I've died, I've been risen again with Jesus Christ. Our power, the Christian life, new life, abundant life, as Jesus described it, it's experienced 
and our dying to self so that we might be brought back to life, a new kind of life, a life that's defined by who God is and how he sees me in Jesus Christ because of who he is and what he has done for me. We sang about it this morning. Looks like a little fish, huh? Oh, do tell. (laughs) Hmm. Spiritual maturity begins with the revelation that life is a gift. I have nothing that I haven't received. And everything that I have received is a gift from Papa. Life truly begins when we choose to stop trusting in ourselves and instead put our trust in God. Like children, vulnerable beginners, never too proud to cry out for help because our Father is good and strong and promised to never abandon us. This is hard. This is hard. I love what um, the... The great Catholic mystic Thomas Merton said, speaking specifically of prayer, we do not want to be beginners, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything but beginners all our life. Guys, graduation in the family of God, it's, it's backwards, it's upside down. We become more and more like little children. We become more and more aware of how small and limited and powerless I truly am and how great and powerful and faithful our God truly is. We find our strength. We find our security. We find our wisdom we find our eternity hidden in the arms of our Father. You know, this is what it means to become a Christian. Ever wonder yourself, like, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? The Corinthians might say, well, a Christian, they probably wouldn't even have used the word, a Christian, it looks like someone who does X, Y, and Z. It looks like someone who knows A, B, and C. They know certain things. They have a particular belief system. And their behavior aligns in just a particular way. That's not being a Christian. That that is what we call the fruit of the Christian life. That's what it looks like. That's how you can evaluate it. That's how you can determine, like, are you actually following Jesus? Or is it just something that you're doing in your head? A Christian, someone who's like Christ, is someone who identifies with God as Father. It's someone whose whole identity gets and, and, and is becoming wrapped up. And I know who I am. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. God is my Papa. I use the word Papa because this is what I refer to my father as. 
I've never called my dad father. He's Papa. And the more we grow, the more we realize that I have been given life, define my life in the arms of my father. Guys, as we continue on through 1 Corinthians, this is so crucial to understand everything else because we're going to get into some really specific stuff. We're going to talk about next week, in fact, we're going to talk about sexuality. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, it's all about Paul. And funny enough, the Corinthians, they, they, didn't, they actually didn't ask Paul about sexuality. It's a bit like, a, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to, to pray for someone. So I'm a pastor, it happens from time to time. Someone will come up to me at the end of the service and be like, oh, you know, I really need prayer. What do you need prayer for? I just, you know, my quiet times just feel really dry. Okay, okay you want prayer for your, your Bible time with Jesus. Okay, well, what else? And you kind of probe a little bit more and you find out that like, they're like strung out on meth and like sleeping with prostitutes. And I'm like, dude, okay, your problem is not your quiet time. Okay, you I'm with you, brother. <laughs> We're going to talk about some stuff. But if, we, if it's not clear in our minds what the point is, where Paul is wanting to take us, um, we can quickly make the mistake of thinking that, that what, this, this, what this whole thing is is about like just behavior modification, just acting differently, just getting better, becoming more religious, or learning some, some new facts about the Bible. All that stuff, totally important. But if we don't remember that really, this is the father appealing to his children, saying, I don't, I don't want you to just act like me. I want you to become like me. I want you to get my heart. I want you to experience my love. This is called going uh, to the cross. Guys, we're going we're gonna to stop there. I think I've said enough. Um, there's a lot there, obviously. Gosh, whole 14 verses. If you're like, man, but what did he mean by this or that? Um, my advice, guys, find an ecclesia. It's what we call our, our midweek small groups. Um, yeah, it's a great place to, to have a conversation, to process, to object and to think together about what's really going on in this church and, and what it means to us as we figure out how to follow Jesus Christ. But we're going to close here. Um, I'd like to invite the band to come back up. And uh, as always, what we're doing here isn't just sort of getting a, a bit of information as I said many times, uh, we're inviting the Spirit of God to, to actually do something to our hearts. If we leave here just with a little bit more to think about, um, but not having actually encountered our Father in Jesus Christ, uh, yeah, then we, we're kind of going the way of the Corinthians. So I want us to respond in worship. Some of you, um, if you're anything like myself, you've, you've got stuff. 
You've got things that you're ashamed of. Parts of your life that you don't want anyone to know about. Weaknesses. And the way you deal with that isn't by just getting better or becoming stronger. It's about going to Father. Saying, I'm, I'm weak. I'm broken. I'm, I am a sinner. Help. We go to Father. The strength we're looking for to become like Jesus, it's found in our Father's arms. Paul writes um, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, when I'm weak, then I am strong because God's power is perfected in weakness. We go to Father with our weaknesses. We go to him with our, our dysfunction. We go to him with our doubts and our fears and our disappointments and our anger and our pain and our confusion. We go to him collapse in his arms and he pours his love into our hearts he makes us whole he doesn't just wave his magic wand make it all go away but he, he begins to to do something on the inside of us so that we realize God is my father that's where the strength's at that's where I find security that's where the answers lie We've got to be willing to come to him. Can we stand together?